So we continue our Lenten series uh, this morning, uh, Words to Lent By. So we've heard uh, two words so far. We heard no, that we need to say no to certain things in our lives. It's easy in our world to kind of say yes to everything, and we get busy, and we kind of wear our busyness a bit like a badge of honor. Like, how's it going? Well, I'm busy. My calendar's full. But really, maybe that's not a badge of honor. Maybe that just shows that we are overcommitted and that we're so full of things that don't matter that we can't say yes to things that, things that do matter when they come by. And so the next week, last week, we said yes. We want to be able to say yes to God. We want to be able to say yes to those good things that God has for us in our lives. Yes to the um, opportunities to kind of reach out and help others. Uh, which is only possible uh, when we have said no to other things. Uh, because God, we know, has said this enormous yes to us. Today, we're going to talk about this word, remember. I want us to uh, begin with a passage from Second Peter. Uh, it says this, Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us um, by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we have ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you, your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you have been given complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities, active and growing in our lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your own old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So, friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this, and you'll have your life on firm footing, the streets paved and the way wide open into an eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the stakes are so high, and even though we're up to date on all this truth and practice inside and out, I'm not going to let up for a minute and calling your attention uh, before it. This is the post to which I've been assigned, keeping you alert with frequent reminders, and I'm sticking to it as long as I live. This is my post. Like, literally, this is my role in the community to remind you of your relationship with God. To call to your memory who you really are. Whose you really are. Where you actually are. So this is interesting, this idea of memory and of remembering and remembering well. Scripture is full of repetition. Now we know, I know there are a lot of you who are kind of in education and one of the things we say in education circles is that repetition kind of reinforces and, or even enables memory. 
Well, Scripture seems to get this, right? So we start with the story of creation and God's covenant with Abraham, you know, in Genesis, and how this starts to get uh, fulfilled with Moses and the giving of the law, and then they, Leviticus, Numbers, and then we get to this book, Deuteronomy. So what is Deuteronomy? It comes from the word like duet, too, and the word kind of namas for law. It's the second telling of the law. We're, we're five books in, and we dedicate a whole book to retelling the story that's just been told. So what's happened? Well, one generation has kind of grown old, and a new generation has risen up, and we need them to remember this story. So that story gets retold. The rest of the Old Testament is filled of repetition as well. So the stories that you find in First and Second Samuel are repeated in First Chronicles. The stories that you find in First and Second Kings are repeated in Second Chronicles. The prophets retell the stories of former prophets. And then we get to the New Testament, and we have a book called Matthew. It tells the story of Jesus. And so we follow that up with a book by Mark that tells the story of Jesus. And we follow that up by Luke that tells the story of Jesus. And we follow that up by John that tells the story of Jesus. I mean, there is a lot of repetition in Scripture. Like, if you're not catching on, there's certain things we want you to know, and we need you to remember them, because remembering them are very important. Paul reminds the readers of 1 Corinthians five times of the tradition that he wants them to remember. His, his, that whole letter is kind of shaped in these uh, kind of smaller essays, and he opens each one saying, look, this, this is what we've been given. This is what we've been told. This is what has been kind of handed down to us. Um, in particular, I, I can remember uh, chapter 15 when he's talking about the resurrection. He's like, look, we, we didn't make this up. We were taught this. It was handed down, and we need to remember. So there are a few things that I want you all to remember uh, today. The first is I want, to, I want you to remember who you are. Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make people in our image according to our likeness, and let uh, them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created people in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So who are you? You are a bearer of the image of God. You have been created in the image of God. And that's an important part of who you are. Now, I know this is the Lenten season. And, you know, we start Lent with Ash Wednesday, and we say... Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And that might not be the most encouraging thing you've ever heard in your life, right? So uh, in Genesis 2, it says that God took the dust and, uh, from the ground and made from the dust the person. The, the Adamah, that's the Hebrew word for dust, into the Adam, the person. You can hear, hear it better in the original language, the connection between the two. The, the Adam from the Adamah, the person from the dust, yeah? 
So we're made from dust. We return to dust. That's kind of heavy. But I've got good news for you. Even though this might be the season of Lent, and it's a time that we remember Jesus' time in the wilderness and the temptations, and it's a time of kind of uh, self-denial and reflection, Uh, Lent, we say, is 40 days. But there are 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. So perhaps we're not good at counting. I don't know. <laughs> you know but it is the church tradition. So what, where did the extra six days come in? Well, the extra six days are the Sundays during that period of time. Because while you might deny yourself traditionally something during Lent to prepare your heart and literally your body to celebrate the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you wouldn't deny yourself things on Sunday because Sunday is the feast day. Sunday is the day of celebration. Sunday is the day that we uh, partake in the Eucharist, that we take communion. So things would be given up for Lent, but not on Sunday. Like you might go into a fast, But there's times for fasting, and there's times for feasting, and Sundays are for feasting. Now, I don't know if my little mountain Pentecostal church understood the significance of Lent since we never talked about it. I thought Lent was something that got stuck in your belly button. (laughs) But one thing we did get was Sunday was for feasting, right? We would get together and we ate big meals. Like I, can, I remember my parents telling me stories and they kind of both grew up poor. And so they would often go kind of through the week with kind of you know, beans and potatoes and such. But on Sunday, they would always have meat because Sunday was the church day. Sunday was the day that they ate, that they kind of celebrated. Well, this, this actually is part of this old tradition that we are God's people. From dust we have come, to dust we shall return. But we we say that and we practice that to get ready for another holiday. A holiday that says that the dust that we shall return to is not the end of the story. We say that to prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the resurrection. So I want you to know that one, you are all created in the image of God And two, even though you're made from dust and you'll return to dust, that's not even the end of the story. That in the same way that Jesus was resurrected, we'll be resurrected. And that's good news. There's something else that kind of goes with this too, though. Something I think we all need to remember. Not only are you uh, made in the image of God, but every single person you will ever meet, know, or hear of is also made in the image of God. This includes people that have different political views than you. This includes people that have different color skin than you. This includes people that have different nationalities than you. This includes people that have different religions than you. So, I know we forget sometimes that the people that are in our lives and the people that aggravate us or the people that we think we have enmity with are not made in the image of God, but they are. 
And I think this too. I think if we can remember that we're thinking about or talking about an, a, a, a bearer of the image of God, maybe we might say something a little differently. Maybe we would feel a little differently. Uh, several weeks back, um, we did a sermon um, and we kind of played off of A.J. Jacobs' It's All Relative, Adventures Up and Down the Family Tree. Remember that? And one of the interesting pieces about it was this. Uh, people often didn't have a lot of latitude for folks they disagreed with, but then if they found out that they were distant relatives, they thought, oh, you know, maybe not that's so bad, right? They had more latitude with the people that they found out they were related to, but here's the point. We're all fairly closely related, like, there's no one ever before, now, or ever will be that will be, have been created in somebody else's image, right? This is the only way people come. People only come as those who are created in the image of God. Uh, full disclosure, and maybe more than I'm comfortable to say, I didn't actually plan to say this, but just yesterday, I was out to eat, and um, I found myself sitting next to the older of our two, uh, you know, foster children. And she did something, and I felt like it was way out of line, and I overreacted. You know, I snapped. It was too much. It hurt her feelings. It kind of disrupted the peace that we had all had up to that point. At, at lunch. And this is what I think now as I reflect on it. I think that if I could have remembered my own sins, my own shortcomings, my own impatience, my own times that I had done things that, you know, imagine what I was like as a boy. <laughs> you know, imagine how much I irritated my parents, right? Oh my goodness, Lord forgive me. I think if we could remember the fact that we are dust and we have our own shortcomings, then maybe we'd be less likely to be so judgmental or harsh on others. Or maybe a 46-year-old man could just like bite his tongue for a second and not snap at a seven-year-old girl. Remembering, remembering who we are and who they are. It just gives us pause to kind of behave in the ways that we know we should, but sometimes we forget, and we just don't practice them. So remember who you are. But don't just remember who you are. I want you to also remember whose you are. In 1 John 3, 1 through 2, it says this, See what love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And that is where we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and we will be, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we know is this when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And this is a beautiful thing. Yes, we've all sinned. Yes, we've all turned from God. But God has gone through a lot. We sang a song. Uh, I, I was quite uh, kind of tore up by it. Uh, 
I was trying to sing along, but I kept getting choked up. When we, we kept singing about the way that God is kind of recklessly loving and kind of coming after us. Now that, my friends, is good news. Not just good news that you can think about, good news that you can kind of feel. We're, not, we're no longer slaves. We are friends. And we're not just friends. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Now that's, that's kind of high cotton. But yet that's how Scripture speaks of who we are. I want you uh, to be comfortable uh, when you come to church. Not just because I, I want you to kind of feel good or I want you know, to you know, like me or something. I mean, I, I do want you to feel good. I want you to like me. But that's not the main point. The main point is I want you to feel like when you come literally to like this building, because this is the place we generally come to worship God, right? I want you to feel at home. I want you to feel at home not because I'm your pastor or trying to host you. I want you to feel at home because we understand this to be the house of God and God is your father. So, you know, sometimes we joke about Hannah taking her shoes off all the time. Like if, if you're not familiar uh, with this, um, I have six girls and girl number two in particular never wears shoes. <laughs> and so... Um, that, that, that joke is, is applicable in some ways here, right? Because when you're at home, do you always wear your shoes? Nope. Oh, I didn't realize Hannah was here today. I thought she's still sleeping. No, right? We kick our shoes off. We kick our shoes off because we're comfortable there, right? We can stretch out there. Now, again, this may be atypical at Oasis, but in the church that I grew up in, we often, uh, almost every service, particularly the evening services, we would come to the altar to pray. And we might, we'd often kneel, but sometimes we would stretch out, like stretch out on the floor and, and pray. Now, generally in public, stretching out on the floor is not something you do, right? I'm not uh, suggesting to you at work this week, you know, you think, oh, just you know, stretch out here and lay down in the office. But certainly at your home you might, right? You'll either recline on the couch or maybe you'll even stretch out on the floor. Those types of practices and church services, I think, take seriously this idea of remembering whose we are, right? If this is truly the house of God and, it's, and, and God is our Father, then we should be most comfortable here. Now, I realize not everybody's had a positive experience with their earthly father, with their biological father, or maybe even a foster father you have had a bad experience with. Um, but part of what this story, I think, is intended to do is not rely on the shortcomings that we might have experienced, but to rather suggest to us that there is an ideal kind of positive way that that relationship can and ought to work, and that's the relationship that I think we can find here. You are God's children. You're not just created in the image of God. You are children of God. And I want you to remember that. Sometimes it's easy for us to kind of um, get down on ourselves. Yeah? In fact, this morning, as I'm waking up, I hear screaming at the top of her lungs, 
I hate my hair. <laughs> really? Why does a seven-year-old hate their hair? Right? That's not like, it doesn't, you didn't pick that up from us, right? I'm just the opposite. I'm the other extreme. I'm looking in the mirror and saying, hey, good looking. <laughs> But look, if, if, you, if you feel yourself, and I think this is very common, right? I think this is a normal thing to do. If you feel yourself kind of getting down on yourself, I think part of what um, makes that possible is that we're forgetting whose we are. Like if you could remember that you are a child of God, I think that would give you a certain lift, uh, a joy, uh, an acceptance. You're God's kid and God loves you. And God is pursuing you. And God just wants you to be joyful and to be happy and to be like God, to be loving and gracious and forgiving and just. Right? He wants you to stand up against injustice and evil and he wants you to serve and help out others in need. It's really a great way to be in the world if we can remember. Thirdly, I think we should not just remember uh, who we are and whose we are, but I think we need to remember where we are. Isaiah 66 says this, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is my resting place? All these things my hands have made, so all these things are mine, says the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, to the humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. Not only is this God's house, like Oasis, but the world is God's house. And somehow, along the way, caring for the world got politicized. Now, it was, maybe it was always politicized. Maybe it was just shifted, right? So, I, you know, I grew up in the mountains again, and we were conservationists uh, because we were conservatives. Do you hear the term there? Conservationists, conservatives, right? We, we cared about, about the earth. Um, remember those old uh, PSA commercials, and it starts on a close-up of a tear, and it kind of backs up, and it's this uh, kind of Native American, and it keeps backing up, and there's all this litter. Remember those kind of anti-litter campaigns back when you were kids? I mean, that might date us a little bit. Do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Because that was about the same time. All right. Yeah. We are called to be stewards. And um, it's not that I'm asking you to go out and hug a tree. But I am asking you to, to care about the environment. Um, recently at the college, they announced the kind of building of, of a new facility, and they're going to have to uh, cut down three of these gorgeous old live oaks. I know. Ooh. Right? Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, and I, I don't know if they're um, excited about it or not, but... It's required to them, apparently, based on building codes. Um, they have to replace the girth of those trees somewhere else in the county. 
So, because, so since they're quite large, I think, I think what they said was that we'll be planting 36 new trees on campus to kind of replace what's there. Now, the Bible never says, if you cut down a tree, plant another tree. But it does say that God placed us in charge of things, and if you're in charge of some place, how it looks is kind of your responsibility. So, if, you're, if you go to your father's house, you should be comfortable, right? You should be able to kick off your shoes. But if you go to your father's house, you ought not trash it, right? It ought to look at least as good when you leave as it did when you got there. That's kind of what we expect, right? Uh, fourthly, I want you to remember the time. Remember the time? No, a different time. Whew, rough crowd. Harsh. In Galatians, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child, and if a child, then an heir through God. Now that sounds a lot like kind of the previous one, but remembering kind of when we are. We are part of a bigger story. You know, we, we teach it to the children. I guess they still teach it to children. I need to talk to Kath. Do you remember this? Yeah, wasn't that great when you were a kid? Father Abraham. For those of you who don't know it, you really missed out on a particular experience of, of your childhood. But it used to be, anyway, we would teach children to sing this song, Father Abraham has many sons. It's a little sexist. I don't know what to do with that now. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right arm. Right? And then you sing the same song you sing, over again, same verse, and then you go left arm. And you sing it again, and right arm, left arm, right leg, and, and then again, both arms and both legs, and then you're nodding your head, and then you're turning around. Now, we're, we're all pragmatists, right? We understand that we're doing that because we want the children to get out their energy and because pastors preach too long. <laughs> but there's another important part of that story, right? We're realizing part of who we are and whose we are, part of where we are, Right? And, and part of the time that we're in. Look, praise be to God, we live in the contemporary world. Look, if I, if I lived in the ancient world, I'd already been dead by now. <laughs> I mean, I've got health issues. I'm not particularly handy. Um, the outdoors seems to be allergic to me. <laughs> the outdoor, <laughs> yeah. Look, here's the time that we're in. Jesus has already died on a cross and been resurrected. That's the biggest part of the story. We're waiting for the fulfillment, for the consummation of all the effects of that event. But that event is still the biggest event. Yeah? And when we come and we partake of communion, 
part of that is remembering, right? Like we used to say, uh, again, lots of reflections on my childhood lately, I guess. Um, There was a communion table, and engraved in the table is do this in remembrance of me. Yeah? So that's what we're doing when we take communion, right? There's a lot of memory involved in that. We're remembering who we are and whose we are. And at that point, we're remembering where we are, which is at the table of the Lord, right? And we're remembering the time that Jesus kind of made this sacrifice and God kind of performed this miracle, the resurrection. And we're looking forward and hoping for a time, right, when all of that kind of comes to a a more complete fulfillment. Lastly, um, I wanted to say just a few words about Jesus' temple action as recorded in John's uh, gospel. So unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke that kind of puts that event at the end, in fact, that's the event that seems to be the catalyst for his whole arrest, trial, and crucifixion. John puts that story at the beginning. And it's interesting uh, pieces that he says there. Let me just read it real quick. He says, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and money changers seated at the tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show uh, us for doing this? Like, like, give, give me some credentials that says you can do this in the temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, Galilean rabbi, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body, the gospel says. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Right? They remembered what the Lord had done. And they remembered the scriptures and the things that he had done. This is my post. Right? As the author of 2 Peter kind of said to his church, I'm saying to you all, you're getting it right. Just keep on. Don't don't let the world distract you. This is the time to lean in. These are the things that you should remember. You should remember who you are. You should remember whose you are. You should remember where you are. You should remember when you are. And you should remember that you are forgiven And you should remember that you are called to forgive. Coming to the table is not simply a matter of celebrating our own personal forgiveness. Coming to the table means coming to the table with other people 
that the Lord has forgiven that maybe we haven't. The invitation to the table would include people that maybe we wouldn't invite to our tables. Just imagine the typical lunch with Jesus and his disciples, right? They would eat lunch, I imagine. They're regular people. One of those guys was a tax collector. He had worked closely with the Romans. His name was Matthew. One of those guys was called Simon the Zealot, different than Simon Peter. You'd think in such a small crowd of people you wouldn't have had two guys with the same name, but we actually end up with like two Simons and uh, two Judases. Not Judas, yeah. And is there two? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> is there another two? Are there two Jameses? No, okay, thanks. I need to remember. <laughs> but remember this. One of those guys was from a group of people that every chance they got, they killed a Roman, particularly a Roman soldier. One of those guys was, the, was just the type of people they disliked the most, the folks who would compromise with the Romans. Yet they were always having to sit down at the same table together because they followed the same rabbi. This point goes to the, the point I was trying to make earlier when I said that we're all created in the image of God, which is not just good news for us, but also has implications on how we should treat others. When we come to the Lord's table, we have to realize not only is the Lord inviting us, but he's inviting other people too, people who we might not. Forgiveness is a hard thing. Sometimes we have to remember to forgive. And we have to remember to forget things that would have, would cause us um, not to be able to remember well. Yeah. Let's see if I can phrase that differently. Remembering to forgive also includes a certain amount of forgetting. That is, you can't hold on to grudges and keep reminding yourself of them. You can't keep holding on to ways in which you've been harmed and think that you're ever going to move on in a relationship. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take things seriously and that there aren't, you know, I'm not arguing for entering into codependent relationships or anything. But what I am saying is, Part of what has to happen is to let those other things go. Look, we've all been harmed. But at some point, for our sakes, if not for the perpetrators, we have to let that go. We have to remember that we serve a God who became a person who died on a cross. If God wanted to remember all of our wrongdoings, our relationship with God would be hopeless. But it's only in that God can kind of choose not to remember our wrongdoings that we have a chance at wellness at wholeness.
So I'm challenging you today. Think of someone, something that you could forgive. Maybe you think it's beyond your capacity to do so. And I get that. I'm not saying I, I do all these things I talk about. I mean, if you look at me, I might be a, a particularly unreliable example. But I do believe this. I believe the testimony of these things are true. And I believe that we should strive for them. And I believe that Jesus is not just the miraculous event that happened. I think he's also an example that we're called to follow. As the youth pastors say, Jesus is not just your Savior, but your Lord. We are not just Jesus' heirs or the Father's children. We are disciples. We are Christ followers. And if you're remembering that you're a Christ follower, then you're going to need to forgive. Jesus says, the Gospel of Mark says, that when you ask for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven. And remember to forgive those who have harmed you. I'm not asking you to do this because the harm that was done to you wasn't real. It was real. I'm not asking you to do this so you can kind of wink or, or, or dismiss the, the um, crisis and the struggle. I'm asking you to do this for you because I think this is the, this is the way forward. Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Lord, I pray for us that we would be filled with your life, with your joy, with your love. Help us to remember those things. Help us to forget those things that we hold on to that would hold us down or hold us back. Give us forgiveness that we can't even generate within ourselves. Set us free. Transform us by the power of your spirit and to the image of your son whose table we have just sat at and whose name we pray. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, our Lord. Amen.